0: in Christ means and why it's so important. When the gospel, the good news of Christ, is preached and was preached in the New Testament time during the in the book of Acts, people were urged, as people are today, believe in Jesus. And you may think, well what if you're if you're not a Christian, what does that mean? Believe in Jesus. Well there were two words that that are both translated in. But they meant something a little different. And this I think can help. The word believe in Jesus. In the original meant in to. Believe into Jesus. It's different from the word in. That can be translated the same way. And I've, here's the illustration I've used before. And it helps me to remember. If you walk up to this building from Mulberry Street. And you're standing on the outside of it, that doorway, right back there. Then if you come inside, you have come into the building. Now you are in the building. So I would say this, please come into the building. And you walk from the sidewalk up through the doors. Now you're standing in this aisle. Now you are in the building. We are invited to believe into Jesus. Jesus. It's not just to know a few facts about him. It's not just to respect him. It's not just to think, well, he was a great religious teacher. And maybe he was the son of God, but I'm not sure. No, it's to believe into him. I move into him. I trust him as my redeemer. And now, once I do that, I am in him. And he is in me. Now, the term for that is the mystical union with Christ. So, the Apostle Paul would use that phrase often. Uh, if you... And dare I miss the opportunity. If you're not yet a Christian, you should are invited and urged to and commanded to believe into Jesus. And once you do, you are in him. Now, here's what happens. He goes on to say, uh, with that. Verse 4 shows us that God, before the foundation of the world, chose certain individuals from among the fallen members of Adam's race, To be the object of his favor. It says in the latter part of verse 4. He in love he predestined us for adoption. So what was God's motivation to adopt us? Love. In love. That was the reason. And the means for our adoption. Is through faith in Christ. Where John says yet to all who received him. To those who believed in him. He gave the right to become the children of God. Now. In the time I have, which isn't much, I wanna just note some of the privileges of adoption. What are some of the privileges and benefits if you're a believer that you should recognize every day? Some of you struggle with assurance of salvation. You've really trusted in Christ, you are in him, and yet you don't have the assurance that you are. I would say study the doctrine of adoption. That will help with assurance of salvation. Here are some of the privileges of being an adopted child of God. One is security. We are adopted by him as his sons through Jesus Christ. We can rest secure in that relationship. A servant did not have security. An employee did not have security. But sons do. There's a reason it uses sons and why I'm not saying sons and daughters. And that is because the son was the heir in that day. The oldest son received the privileges. So when we find the doctrine of adoption described like in Romans, it just uses the word son. It's not talking there just about males, men. It's talking though about the son. The son was the heir. Even if there were many children, the oldest son was the main heir of the inheritance. And that's why it uses, it refers to adoption as sons. Secondly, authority. Authority. We receive the authority of being his adopted sons. In biblical times, servants did not have authority. Hired help had no say-so. They could only do what they were told. But under parents, children had authority in the house. And you may ask, well, what type of authority? Well, over sin and over the devil. We can move about the world with confidence, knowing that this is my father's world. This world belongs to my father. And so we can have, for lack of a better word, we can have poise and not feel that we're uh, uh, in a strange place. My grandfather and grandmother built a little store in a uh, poor part of my hometown before I was born. And I remember the first time I saw that building where they had this little grocery store with a, with a may I date myself, with a filling station next to, to a, a gas uh, the 7-Eleven, not, there was this one-story brick building and there was this stone and it said Miller across the front of it. And the first time I saw that as a little boy, I thought, hey, that's got my name on it. Where We have authority as the children of God. It should give us confidence that this uh, is our father's world. We're not strangers in a strange land. This belongs to him. Third, we're part of a global family. When the Iron Curtain fell in 1989, and the Soviet Union began to break up, and former communist countries asked for Western Christian missionaries to send teachers and Christian workers there to teach Christian ethics in the school system. And you may remember this, some that are old enough. And there was an organization formed called the Co-Mission. And a number of Christian ministries from around the world including uh, Mission to the World, which is the mission agency of our denomination and at what was called Campus Crusade for Christ International back then, and University Christian Fellowship, and the Navigators, and uh, the, the Baptists, every, everybody became part of this commission that was invited by the head of the education departments to come into the schools and to teach. And this church in 1994, just five years later, sent me on a vision trip with about four other pastors. And we went to Warsaw, and we went to the city of Krakow, and we went over to the country of Romania. And then we drove from Romania and Hungary, and then we went to the Ukraine, and we arrived in Kiev, which we called Kiev. And we traveled overnight by train to Odessa, which is in the south on the Black Sea. And our church later sent a short-term mission team, some of you were on that, to the Ukraine. Well, a few days ago, I read about the seminaries. If you've been seeing each day, it's being posted. Well, really, it wasn't a few days ago, it was yesterday. Uh, that From 10 seminaries there in the Ukraine, uh, urging Christians to pray for certain things. Well, we visited one of those seminaries when I was there, and my point is regardless of language differences or cultural differences, we share the same love of God, we share the same view of the world, and we share the same hope for a new heavens and a new earth. Why? Why do I feel a kinship at looking at some of these images and what's going on there now, even though I could not have a personal relationship with them, it's because we're brothers and sisters in the same everlasting family. We're part of God's global family. Why? Because we're adopted by the same father. Fourth, a fourth privilege is we have intimacy. In Romans eight, I mentioned that's a key passage about adoption. It says in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, if you've taught that or if you've heard it, no doubt, you know that sometimes we say Abba can be translated Daddy. Raise your hand if you've heard that, please. Really, okay, most of us, I assume that. So it's a term of intimacy that... Rather than a formality that he's my father, he's my daddy. And we get this picture that I'm going to go sit in my daddy's lap. And that's not a bad picture. But there's more here. And there's more because it's not daddy. It's daddy. That's the way he says Abba there. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, said, let us notice the word cry. We cry Abba, Father. It's a strong word and clearly, Lloyd-Jones said, Paul used it quite deliberately. It means a loud cry. It expresses deep emotion. It is spontaneous and confident. Now, let me show you something that I saw this week in my preparation for this. In the Old Testament, there were many postures of prayer. But the main, most frequent posture of prayer was this. I lift my eyes and my face to the Father, such as in Psalm 63. In your name, I will lift my hands. The second one would be if I could, but here I can't, kneel down, face up, hands out. When I'm by myself and pray, that's typically the posture because that's what I think of. Why do we have our hands out like that? I want to give you an idea that I think fits. I walked into an orphanage in the Ukraine, and the, at that time, there were—it was—it was not real regulated yet, and everything. What do you think you would see when you went near some of those cribs, Daddy? And what man or woman could not could resist the image to say, "I want to pick this child up." So when we're in trouble, like just like a toddler today, and we and we're needing help, praise Praise man, daddy, daddy. That's what he's talking about. It's not just the security of that, it's the intimacy to be able to call out to God in that way. Another privilege is inheritance. We have this inheritance, we are his heirs, and we are called the heirs of God. Here's the problem. When we first come to faith in Christ, We can read the Bible and say, I've been adopted. I'm his child now. I'm his son. As a son, I'm an heir, but I don't feel like it. Let me read you what Russell Moore said about this in the book when they adopted their first, these two boys out of this Russian orphanage. When Maria and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over and we returned to Russia to pick up our sons, we found that their transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we had supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had bought for them. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and we walked out into the sunlight to the terror of the two boys who were a little over one year old at that time. They'd never seen the sun. They'd never felt the wind. They had never heard the sound of a car door slamming or felt that they were being carried along a road at about 100 miles an hour. And he says this, I noticed they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergey, who now is named Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what's waiting for you, a home with a mommy, and a daddy who loved you, your par- grandparents and great grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid, but they had no other reference point. It was home. We knew the boys had acclimated to our home; that they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming and they wouldn't have to fight for the scraps. This was the new normal. And then he says this, the trauma of leaving the orphanage was unexpected to me because I knew how much better these boys' lives would be soon. I thought they would know too, but they had no idea. They couldn't conceive of anything other than the status quo. My whispering to my boys, you won't miss the orphanage, is only a shadow of something I should have known already. Our Heavenly Father tells us that we, too, are unable to grasp what's waiting for us and how glorious it really is. It's hard for us to long for an inheritance to come, a harmonious Christ-ruled universe, when we've never seen anything like it. So as Christians, we're still, in many ways, reaching back for the orphanage. We want to go back to Egypt. Why? Because it's home. I'm comfortable there. That's what I know. And yet, we have a great inheritance. Last of all... And this may be the most important is one of the privileges of adoption is discipline is the disciplining hand of the Lord. When you and I perhaps face difficult times, maybe like you're going through right now, and we think, doesn't God love me? I mean, if he did, would he be? Why is he allowing this to happen to me? But Hebrews 12 says, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? And if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So the discipline of the Lord is not evidence of the fact that he doesn't love you. It's evidence that he does love you. He disciplines us because he's not only our father, he disciplines us because he's the best father. Michael Kelly in an article observed that, he said, think about it for a moment. Let's say you're at a playground and there are a hundred children on the playground and you look across the landscape and you see some kids climbing too high on a certain uh, device and they're doing something dangerous, not dangerous in the sense that someone's going to be permanently disfigured, but it's not safe anyway. Now you might be compelled to step in. And then again, you might say to yourself, well, those aren't my kids. they are a bunch of parents standing over there, and I'm just going to mind my own business. If they want to take care of their kids, they can do so. But how does your posture change when you look up and you say, well, that's my child with that group that's high up there. I'm going over there right now, and I'm going to say, you need to come down. And he's going to think, well, you don't love me. You're ending my fun. But my motivation is, no, I'm going to ask you to come down or tell you to come down because I do love you. And I love you more than anybody else out here on this field. Why does God discipline us? Because we're his sons. So today and this week, when you look at the things you're going through and maybe you don't ever talk about maybe nobody else knows. Can you take a step of faith and say, Lord, thank you. This is evidence of your love for me. Who are the heroes in adoption? I'm sorry, I keep looking at the clock. We have Sunday school right after this, and at this service, I, they, there ain't room for spontaneity. <laughs> so I'm editing on my feet the whole time. Years ago, a few years ago, uh, one of the trips that I went on to Haiti with some of the men here in the church, uh, would been down there three or four times, there was a man from North Carolina who joined us. He was doing some help with El Shaddai Ministries, who is our partner in Haiti. So he traveled with us for several days and then I think he stayed on when we came back. And I was talking to him on the bus one day as we were moving between cities. And he told me, he said, I'm going to see my daughter on this trip. And I'm like, what? He said, yes, my wife and I adopted a, uh, a young teenage girl. And he said, but it hasn't gone well, and she has come back down here to live. And he said, what's happened is she only grew up in orphanages, and she knew nothing about how to relate in a family. So when she got to our house, it was not, it did not go well. To show you how bad it had gone, I said, was she fluent in English? He said, oh, yes, yeah. she learned real quickly. She could cuss us out in English as well as Creole. So one of the St. Germain brothers, they said, well, let her come back and live with our family. And during that time, we're going to train her to relate to what it's like to live in a home, not an orphanage, but and relate in the family. So that's what was going on. Now, this guy wasn't trying to gain my respect by telling me this. It was a sad story, at least up to that point. But he and his wife were 100 percent committed to it. Who are the heroes in adoption? It's the parents. It's the adoptive parents. This guy, in my estimation, I mean, he just, what a godly, committed person, I thought. Those are the heroes. Who's the hero in our adoption? You? Me? No. God is. God's the hero. He's the adoptive parent. He's the adoptive father. And it's perfect. Let's pray together. Our Father, in many ways, we may be like the Moors' two boys, um, scared of what we see as an improvement. And we can't recognize it because we still long for the home that we've had, which was a really a bad place. And we pray that we, even this week, even today, that those of us here that know Christ and our desire would be that it would be everyone, that we would recognize the privileges of being your children. And that we would meditate on that and give you thanks and honor and praise even as the Apostle Paul did. Bless the work of covenant care. Help us in the the ministry of adoption. Some of us are called to be adoptive parents. So many here have been adoptive and are adoptive parents. Others will be in the the future. Uh, We can help in some fashion or form by either helping these parents or even helping the ministry of covenant care with prayer and finances enable us to do that. We ask that you might have mercy on our congregation that would be more and more a place that welcomes and exemplifies a culture of adoption, spiritual adoption and physical adoption. In Jesus' name, amen.